Warning! Warning! The following program will offend, annoy, anger, and enrage extremists, hate mongers, conspiracy theorists, Putin lovers, racists, religious zealots, killjoys with no sense of humor, douchebags with no sense of decency, overly sensitive liberals, overly aggressive conservatives, PC watchdogs, alt-right fascists, Tea Party lunatics, and haters of free speech. So, if you fall into one of those categories, turn away, turn away now, phone lines will not be open. Alrighty, welcome moderate, rational thinkers and lovers of free speech and comedy to The Funny Thing About Politics, the show where we try to find humor between the extremes. Now that the first 30 seconds of this podcast has already pissed you off, then this is not going to be the program for you. So go back to screaming hashtag winning and Trump 2020, baby, while his former campaign staff gets indicted, his current White House staff gets brought in for questioning by Bob Mueller, and Trump proves to be more corrupt than a Vegas crime boss fixing a middleweight title belt at Caesar's Palace. But for those of you diligent enough to stick around, I am your benevolent host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, humble servant of the people, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my moon shining, truck driving, pill popping, NASCAR watching, down home country, bless her little heart producer, a girl who won't be singing any country songs on AGT this season, D Maven, D the producer, D A G T. How many names do you have, D? Uh, just D, man. Just D. Just Let D. Are you just D? Love your heart. Yes, I am. And because, you know, if you say love your heart down in the South, that means you literally have a license to say anything you want after that. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Love their heart. I just can't stand how stanky and nasty that person is. Doesn't matter. You said love their heart. It works. It counts. It works. <laughs> that just grandfathers you in for anything you want to do, right? It, it totally does that is one of the first things i learned down here even before i learned what holler meant and then i was like oh that's why they call it holler okay i get it now i get it yeah life is good very well Alrighty, and a girl who does not have to be country to drink hard and kick your ass fern hart that this is actually today this this is actually the dude that's all that needs to be said that's actually very true and I learned moving from the north to the south, because we say things different up north than they do in the south. Like, I learned it as bless your heart, bless his heart. You know, I heard that, and yep. cattywampus. I had never heard that word before. I was like, cattywampus? <laughs> What's a cattywampus? But then again, up north, we bang a yui, we pack a cow, we eat our lobster, and it's wicked awesome or wicked pissa. So we talk funny up there, too. I can't really, I can't really judge anybody yeah, on their accent. There's nothing on cattywampus. I think that beats my, for my new favorite word, like over swashbuckling, yeah. which for you. I don't know. I've screwed a lot of people up on wicked cunning, you know. I said, oh, that's wicked cunning, and that means it's really cute. But when yeah. I say wicked cunning, people look at me like I've got three heads spouting out my left shoulder. It's crazy. Indeed. All right. So let's um, take care of some business. Of course, the big news this week was yesterday we had a massive nationwide civil war um, just in the streets, pandemonium and mayhem yesterday as civil war engulfed America. If you missed it, good news is the alt-right lost. They were forced to sign the Treaty of Nordstrom's. 
there was insanity everywhere as like liberal super soldiers beheaded white parents and small business owners, which was a joke tweet where all this shit came from. And if you did miss out, I wouldn't worry about it because I'm sure Trump supporters, if history is any indicator, they'll be doing, um, what is it, Antifa? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think so. Anti-fascist, Antifa, Civil War reenactments for like the next 150 fucking years. So Fern, I was on here yesterday talking to someone on a thread, and they had actually said to me, because I had said something snarky about the so-called Civil War, and they were like, no way, man. I I live in Lexington Park, and I'm looking at it right now coming across my TV. The Civil War's here. What do you think that cat thinks today when he wakes up? Does he think we had a Civil War yesterday? I mean, I, I don't know what he saw on the TV. Um, I, I can't imagine. Like, I don't know if, like, something happened, and he's like, oh, this must be the Antifa revolution. Like, it must be everybody beheading everybody. Like, perhaps there was, like, a car accident or a fist fight in a bar or something, and he thought this was somehow related. Um, nothing happened here in Virginia Beach or the, the Hampton Roads area that I'm aware of. Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about, I think my squirrels missed the memo because they are gathering in the yard, and uh, I've got like five of them out there, and I think they are contemplating on how to get in the house. So maybe these are Antifa squirrels who are just late to the party. But uh, I think that sounds well, about look, just as sane as dude in Lexington Park. If Papa John can now officially be claimed as like the official spokes pizza for the alt-right and Nazi movements, then I think squirrels can be tagged as Antifa. This is how insane we've gone in this country. I think it's all nuts. You see what I did there? Do you see what no, I did there? I don't. I think it's all nuts. That. No. I don't <laughs> well, when Papa John's is giving away pizzas left and right, and discount. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I have taken advantage of some Papa John's deals. You buy a gift card, you get a free pizza. You use a code, you get a free pizza. You buy enough pizza, you get a free pizza. I've actually had nights where I've had three free pizzas because there's six of us in the house. Nice. Three free pizzas. And if Pizza Hut's doing okay and Papa John's isn't, then perhaps we need to look at a few business practices But it's here. the liberal cabal, the same one that took down um, Tim Allen and ruined his career, has ruined Papa John's. It's not that they just suck or they don't know what they're doing. It's always someone else's fault. I had posted something the other day um, just kind of talking about Trump. And I was like, don't worry. If Trump gets sentenced to 30 years, he'll just say, hey, I'm not really in jail. I went to bed at like my golf course and the Obama cabal built walls around my golf course. So I'm not really in prison. And his supporters will be cheering. Hooray. He's not really in prison. He beat the rap. And this guy, Richard, that I didn't even know he was on my friends list. This is some dude I haven't even seen or talked to in 20 years. Was like, I'm tired of putting up with your shit. Fuck you. And I was like, I don't understand. What are you putting up with? This is like me walking into a bookstore and then just like feeling oppressed that there's Ann Coulter books on the shelf. And like writing fuck you in the margins of all the Ann Coulter books. Like how are you oppressed or victimized because I post a snarky joke on my Facebook? What, What shit has he been putting up with me? For well, the last it, 10 years or whatever. I don't think it's just you. I think it is people pointing out the ridiculousness of this secret, democratically controlled Obama super cabal that is somehow not able to control like the majority in Congress that can somehow control everything else. I'm just waiting for the shell of the moon to fall off and the Death Star to be like activated and this big laser to come down and just like, you know, get Donald Trump while he's sitting on his gold throne and, and have this, like, this big Obama conspiracy. Like, this is the next thing that's coming Darth up. Darth Vader this is takes a kind off of crazy. his mask and it's fucking Obama. 
He's like, yeah, oh my God. Darth Vader was black motherfucker. Bye. And just blow shit up. It's crazy. Yeah, it is absolute insanity. But we have lots of insanity to talk about today. Yeah. D, who do we have on the show today? And who do we have coming up? Well, we've just got a few things coming up because, as everybody knows, the holidays are coming up, and that is when we like to just chill and do the family thing. And yeah, we also, like we're chilling. I know, right? We've also got a ton of things coming up um, next week, and we're going to go see Al Pist, who the, is on tour with the Pist. We are going to film some for our new web series that we're working on, so definitely keep an eye out on the YouTube channel, which, of course, is under Tin Can Media. And, and where did we just get back from? We just got back from Springfield and um, hanging out with Rachel for a couple of days. And it's, spoiler alerts: we did cosplay, and three of the four of us won. So, hooray! What? We're hashtag winning in Trump's America. Definitely See, liberals can win in hash, hashtag win in Trump's America as hey, well. Hey, there was an open bar. It was nice. Um, so yeah, we. We're going to have Rachel on Wednesday. We're going to be dishing all about our Fab Tab trip. And then next Wednesday, you guys are going to kill me with this. Uh, we are going to have a special AGT with me episode with Matt Geiler and EL Bell, who are going Woo! to give me just a few last minute tips for my audition on the 19th which I'm going to die. No, I'm not. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. It's fine. It's fine. As Rachel says, everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so yeah, they're going to give me some last minute tips and we're going to talk all about that. And then coming up in December on the third on Kettle of Fish, we're going to have Haig Hovnanian of Harvey Knuckles. If you've not checked out that web series, we definitely, um, you needed to go do your homework. And on the 6th, we are going to have a special funny thing about politics with actor James Morrison, who you may know from Revenge and Twin Peaks and very recently on the Orville and about 100,000 other things. Um, and then we've got a couple other things that we may be scheduling in December as well. Well, we'll definitely do an end of the year show. And William Sanderson, William already said that he's calling in. And um, I think Corey from Warrior Souls calling in. We've got to already have a bunch of people. We started booking for that, which we're shooting yes. for December 27th. Yep. 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 It's going to be awesome. Um, and then t- later today we are having um, actress Meryl Hathaway, who. Most recently, I think most recently, other than a commercial that I just saw her in, um, has been working on The Good Place, which is the bestest show ever. Ever. Love it. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, the, And, of course, now it's on, like, a fall break, which makes me want to just scream. But that's okay. So we're going to be talking to Meryl later. Uh, but right now... Uh, we are going to talk to someone who literally was within driving distance of us not long ago. Like, you know, because me, I like to Facebook stalk. So I'm scrolling through. I'm like, wait a minute. They were at Prez Pub. We go to Prez Pub all the time. What the crap? How did we miss? <laughs> We've probably seen him in passing. Uh, we've got Corey Ryan Forrester. Corey, how are you? I'm good. What's up, everybody? When was that that I was at Press Pub? I don't remember. I scrolled back through your page and I saw you'd been to Press Pub, and I was like, "Well, shit." We, I mean, oh, I, I know think what we it was. We did, the, for, uh, uh, we did the we did the Bijou. We did yeah. two nights at the Bijou. And, yeah, I was like, "Dang it!" Because yeah. right on. 
Um, Corey, want to thank you so much for calling in today. I want to do like kind of a full disclosure here. I've had your book for a while. Haven't had a chance to read it. We've been fucking slammed. I just cracked it open on Tuesday and I was like, shit, I'm a notorious like slow reader because I highlight stuff. And there's, yeah. And I was like, there's no way this is 350 pages. There's no way I'm going to get through this book in time for the show. And I got to tell you, man, your book was so entertaining and like enlightening and such an easy read. I actually tore through your book in two days. It was that easy well, damn, of a read. And yeah, and Dee was like, oh my God, I can't believe you actually read that book in two days. I was like, yeah, right? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, re- we wrote it in six weeks and I've never read wow. one in six weeks. If that tells you anything. Wow. Yeah. How was it like um, writing with two other people? Did you feel like you had, like, you didn't have enough say, too much say? Like, I have to imagine to get your voice out there. That's got to be hard to navigate. No, I mean, considering that we all three are, you know, fairly similar people, it was actually interesting how well it broke up. Like, we, we basically all decided on these 12 specific chapters. And then once we had them laid out, it was very obvious and there was no even argument as to who was like we split it up into threes and it was like yeah of course you're going to do these i'm going to do these and i'm going to do these because all of these have something to do with our own personal experience and the other one doesn't know it as well so no i felt like i had we we all had the right amount of say and the the cool thing is that we were able to go into each other's chapters and you know add jokes or we did those little you know those porch talks right but our own perspective and somebody else, which you, we never said who did what chapter. Um, if you, if you ever see us on tour, listen to the podcast, I think people are starting to figure it out. They're like, Oh, Corey, you definitely did food. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and, and the book is the liberal redneck manifesto. You wrote it with Trey Crowder and drew Morgan. And so here's what I'm thinking when I'm reading this whole thing. And I've been in Knoxville for 10 years. I'm from up North Virginia beach and in DC area before that. As somebody who, you know, is a self-declared liberal redneck and you have lived within within many of the situations you talk about in the book, do you feel like that gives you any kind of legitimacy with like the far right or people who are totally entrenched in this Trump culture? Like you can reach them where like an East Coast elitist liberal like me couldn't or because you're a liberal, me and you are just thrown into the same fucking gumbo pot in their book. Um, Well, Yes and no. Like I do feel to a certain degree, uh, I'm because th- we've had people say, "Oh, liberal redneck, that's like boneless ribs. I don't even make any sense." <laughs> I'm hilarious. Um, so like, yeah, when they, you know, when people like that hear you're a liberal, they immediately dismiss a lot of things. Which I mean, I'm not going to be hypocritical enough to not say that when I hear someone's a hardcore, staunch conservative, that I don't kind of do the same thing. I'm getting better about it. Um, but yeah, I do believe that if when they hear it with this accent, it at least interests them. They're like, whoa, wait, hold on. What now? You came from the same place as me and you think, what? How did that happen? So yeah. I He's a witch. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I do think it's a, it's a, well, first off, I look like them and I sound like them. So I'm going to get in the room. You know what I mean? And uh, also I'm a nice dude. Like I'm not trying to talk down to nobody as long as nobody talks down to me. But no, I, I 100% that, it's easier for me to have a conversation than it would be for you. Well, what's the feed like of the feedback been like, like, are you getting, is a negative feedback or is there any negative feedback? Is it outweighing the positive feedback or are you building like bridges and making concessions and having people write you and go, Hey, look, man, I was really like, I'm 
I'm from, you know, the South. I was really far right and you actually reached me or opened my eyes on some things. Or is it pretty much down the line? I'm on this side. You're a libtard. I'm on this side. I agree with you 100%. No, I, I got to tell you, the um, the positivity has largely outweighed the negativity. And I, wow, I think that's I know awesome. why. Yeah, and I think I know why. It's because, I mean, the book is clearly titled The Liberal Redneck Manifesto. Anyone who buys that knows probably kind of what they're about to read like they know well this is a liberal book so hardcore conservatives probably just aren't buying i mean are you i mean you might be but i'm not reading bill o'reilly's horse shit right right read like kill it i might read killing lincoln and killing kennedy those seem interesting but like if he just put out the bill o'reilly this is what i think and this is how you should think which is essentially what we did i wouldn't read it because i'm not i don't give a shit i don't think he's right so like no yeah, but somebody online's got to be talking about it, and people are like, no, no, "What no, liberal redneck? They, fuck they this!" There's, they are. We had one. Then I have since stopped reading reviews because that's just not a healthy thing. But we, we had one really visceral review on Amazon, and here's what was hilarious: it was posted ten minutes after the book went live. So there's oh, no quicker reader to me. So, yeah, and they go through this whole thing. Um, and then uh, the reason I knew, I, well, I knew a hundred percent they didn't read the book because that it was physically impossible. But I was like, well, they could have got an early copy somehow. I don't know who they worked for, but so I kept reading and they were talking about our views on guns and they were just a hundred percent wrong. All they were doing was talking about what they assumed our views would be. But if you read our book, that is actually where we fall more in line with the right. I mean, not completely. I believe in, you know, gun control and background checks and shit, but like, we are not, hey, let's not have guns. And they were talking about us like we were. And I was like, well, there you go. You didn't read it. So anyways. But isn't that the problem, though? Let me interject real quick here, because this is something that really sticks in my crawl. The problem is there was a country singer, I don't remember who, who was going to play a benefit show in Newtown. And people are like, screw you, anti-gun. And he's like, what are you talking about? I have grew up with guns. I've had guns my whole life. Just because I'm playing a show to benefit the dead children of Newtown doesn't mean I'm anti-gun. Yeah. And there's this yeah, absolute this like strain in this country who, if you even want a background check for a suspected terrorist, oh, you're automatically anti-gun. That's how far right those people have gone. Well, I saw it when the Vegas thing happened, like literally 10 minutes after. Like, dude, the people hadn't even been hauled off to the morgue yet. And I kept seeing all these people on my feed from, you know, back in my hometown that were like, uh, you know, there had to be two shooters because as a blah, 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 and a da, 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 and they go through all these stats of, you know, I've owned a gun and there's no way, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. And I'm not saying that you're not right, but it's kind of disgusting to me that 10 minutes after this tragedy, your brain went straight to how can I somehow defend guns right now? Yeah, that is crazy. That's ridiculous. And you had said in your book, um, going back to the gun chapter, like every time we hit a like a new low, and the last thing you had referenced because of when the book was written was the Pulse shooting. And the first thing yeah. that occurred to me is like, man, I wonder what these guys would be saying today, like back then, if they knew the Vegas shooting would even like totally blow that away as far as being right. just horrific. And you're right, we are in this downward trajectory where we're always like the, the mass shootings are getting worse, but then the other side is getting even more entrenched with guns. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, to answer your original question, I mean, you know, we get plenty of hatred online, but I mean, dude, so does Kevin Hart and he's not even a polarizing figure. You know what I mean? Like 
people, we're very polarizing. So of course we're going to get some negative comments. And there's going to be a lot of people who don't even click on a video and watch it before they just make their comment. But that's you know that's true. The society we live in. But like I also, dude, the I, I don't know if it's success has made me not give a shit or what it is, but I don't give a shit. I could, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. Well, you have to, right? Or you'll go, you'll go insane. I learned that lesson the hard way last year because I kind of had a breakdown where it was just a barrage of hate. And Fern could tell you, I mean, I went crazy and almost shut the whole network down because it had been like four years straight of "fuck you, lived hard, fuck you, snowflake, I'm coming to get yeah. you" over stuff that I really thought Fern that was like kind of milk toasting down the middle, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and the thing is, is that people lose sight of what's right and wrong, and they focus on party lines. I mean, the dichotomy between a liberal redneck is just intriguing to me. Whether I agree with you politically or not, you know, just that is enough for me to say, you know what, I want to check this out, because, you know, I grew up up north, you know, which is typically a very liberal area, but I grew up in Maine, which is, you know, considered a purple state. We can swing, you know, one way or the other to Virginia, which is typically a purple state, but it, I learned about racism, I learned about social diversity and you know bigotry and all that, but I never really experienced firsthand what that was like until I moved to Virginia. And I grew up in a very conservative household. My grandfather is actually very liberal, um, but I never really talked about politics with him until I was you know older and adult, and he's still around. God love him, he's going to be 95 this month. Um, but my parents are very conservative, and I grew up in that conservative household, and it took me moving to the South to become more liberal, which is kind of crazy to me, um, because uh-huh. I have a sense of no, what really. right is right and wrong is wrong, and I do hold some conservative values, um, but people need to just sit back and look at a situation issue by issue and what's right and what's wrong instead of party lines, and that's, you know, that's really where the breakdown is and where people gave Nick, I mean, they gave him a ton of shit and a ton of hate and really pushed him against a wall to where he was like, this is insanity. Like, can't we just have a conversation? But it was just hate, hate, hate. And any person gets under that kind of pressure for long enough, you're going to snap. Indeed. And, and I'm with you, um, Corey, too. I don't think it's totally, like, outrageous that you became more liberal when you um, moved to the South. Right, Corey? No, it's not, and I'll tell you why, because I've been a liberal, I mean, basically as long as I was able to think for myself, and, you know, huge liberal down here, but then I moved to New York, and I tell you, as a liberal from the South, if you go to one poetry reading in Brooklyn, you'll be going, "Ah, I think I might be a goddamn conservative, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you just see, I don't know, you see the other side for what they really are, and then you go, oh, am I that annoying? You know, so it could have the opposite effect. All right, well, I want to dig into, like, the political portion of this show and the news. But first, I want to finish up on this book. What did, um, what do you want to take away to be, and I'll tell you what my takeaway is after this answer, but what did you want to take away to be, the one takeaway, if there's only one, from your book to the average reader? Well, if, I, if it had to be just one thing, uh, this is insanely cliche, but it would be don't judge a book by its cover in terms of, like, when you, you know, people... I'm very glad that the term liberal redneck is intriguing because it has uh, bought me a car. Um, I'm glad that people are interested in that because that's how we sell tickets. I mean, they come back because it's a good show, but you know, you sell those initial tickets on the intrigue. But I guess what I'd like people to take away is like, if you, if you, if I said the term conservative Californian, nobody would be confused. They'd be like, Oh yeah. OJ's lawyers. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Nobody thinks that's weird at all. But then you're like, 
what do you mean? Someone from the South that like uses their noggin? That does what? <laughs> and that's always just confused the shit out of me. And we wrote in, in the beginning of the book, and I'll paraphrase because it's been a minute since I've uh, messed around with it, but like Mark Twain, Andre 3000, Faulkner, all these people, you could go on and on, are from the South. There is so much culture and knowledge here. And so, a lot of our, half of our presidents have been from the South. I mean, they did some terrible things, but you got to at least have a brain to get in there. Right. So like this notion that because you were born below this imaginary line, that your brain doesn't work as good as someone that was born above it is absolutely asinine and always has been to me. And like, it kind of took me growing up and going other places and realizing that, oh, man, some of these people really do. This ain't just on TV. They really do think that about my people and, you know, the way that I sound. And that's just so bizarre. I don't I just don't understand it. So my one takeaway would be, hey, uh, maybe people ain't always, you know, stereotypes are stupid. Sometimes they're right. I mean, I did get in a fight last night wearing a Macho Man Randy Savage costume at a at a party. You macho know. Man is universal. Yeah, well, I am a Macho Man, so there's that. <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you my takeaway. Um, and it's funny that you're talking about stereotypes and such. I had two takeaways from this book. The first one was I was a little humbled by it, and maybe you're glad to hear that. Because it does show me that even after 10 years of living in the Knoxville area, I do still have a lot of prejudices and misconceptions about the South that I need to work on. But also, like, the book further frustrated me because I agreed with not everything you were talking about in the book, but your solutions to it. And sure. I'm like, but things like things have gone so far off the rails. There's stuff in here about opioids or gun control and things like that or just kind of reigning in corporate power. That seemed totally rational to me, but somebody else reading it would be like, holy shit, socialists left this. So it was actually oh, a little no. disconcerting because I was like, this is all right in my mind. But to the other side, it seems like bizarre world, like the total opposite. But are you glad that like the book kind of humbled me? Because it did. No, I mean, I, I am absolutely. And, you know, I assure you, at least in my third of writing the book, I didn't set out to uh, be like, you know, a lot of y'all reading this were wrong as shit. But, um, I mean, I'm I'm just happy that a human being would admit to being humbled nowadays. Yeah, that's a very that hard is thing unusual. To say. Well, I was, because through the book, I was like, damn, I do that. Damn, I think that. Holy shit, maybe I'm but, kind of well, a dick. If it, if it makes you feel better, uh, so do I. Like, I'm, there's no way that I could have written about those things if I wasn't also guilty. Um, I mean... The way I've looked at it is like I'm a hypocrite, uh, but at least when I'm a hypocrite, people don't get their rights taken away from them. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a fine way to be. But like, dude, we're all like that. I mean, it's not about being perfect. It's about trying to get better every day, in my opinion. And I struggle all the time. Like there's like I was just talking about. There's so many times now that I have to hear somebody say something and I go, OK, now, if Obama said that, would you be furious or would you go? That's a good thing. And that's kind of my test now. Now, usually. Trump and Obama have not much crossover. You know what I'm saying? Really? Like not I, much? Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I try to look at things and go, all right, if this was my party that did this, how would I try to justify it? How would I try to spin it? And exactly. uh, again, I'm fine. But I'm trying to imagine Obama it. making fun of a handicapped reporter, and I can't even no, he would, my no, fucking he wouldn't. brain to exactly. do that. That's why, yeah, that's why my job is so easy on this. But like, I do try to put everything through that filter. And just because I desperately don't want to be the thing that I hate, 
And right now, I already am the thing that I hate, which is fat. So I'm trying to work on my brain. Very good. I think we all struggle with that. So how much <laughs> yeah. can change while writing this book about the South? Was there anything that changed in your attitude or perception of the South while writing it? Or are you fairly in the same place you were when you picked up the pen? Um, well, right now, uh, I don't know. I'm in a more empathetic position right now than I was when I picked up the pen because First off, when I picked up the pen, the election had not happened yet. Um, and I believe I can go on record here saying I was the only one that predicted the Trump presidency, which, you know, again, was not happy. Oh, about that was, I was predicting it, too. Before the election, we traveled to like 40 different states. And I just, dude, I was just noticing signs, yard signs. And I was like, I've ne- I have not seen a Hillary when I've seen a billion Trump ones. And that has to mean something. Otherwise, they wouldn't make them. You know, like that wouldn't be a thing. And I started noticing like, oh, my God. And it this kind of inspired me for some parts in the book. It's like, dude, it's not north and south. It's not liberal conservative. It's rural versus city. That's all it is. Like r- rural people in Colorado have absolutely just as much of a chance as being a complete Trumper as somebody from the rural like Tennessee. It's just the, that it's way just, of life. Hmm. And so now... Again, like I know some people and I know some people who actually voted for the guy. And now I won't say they're at full level of regret, but they definitely have admitted like, you know, man, I really didn't know he was going to be this insane. And I'm sitting here going, I told you. And a a lot of them. But how could you not know it? This whole thing, this 70 year old man is going to somehow change and pivot as soon as he takes that oath of office was crazy. A 70 year old is going to change that much? Well, I can can tell you how. It's because they weren't paying attention to all that crazy shit that we were paying attention to. And it's the same way that when Trump won, all these liberals were going, oh my God, how did this happen? I didn't see it coming. Hillary was supposed to win in a landslide. The reason they didn't see that coming is because they had done the same thing as other people did. They went and blocked every Trump supporter on their Facebook. That's the first, I saw people bragging, they're like, I've blocked 500 people off my Facebook. And then like three months later, they're like, how did he win the election? I don't see anybody on Facebook posting about him. Nobody's <laughs> posting about Hillary. It's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, you bubbles, created This little bubble for yourself, which is nice, and it's a neat place to live. But those people that voted for Trump, they also did the same thing, wherein they literally, it's like, oh, here's a guy who said he's going to give me my job back. All right, I heard that, and now I'm not listening to another word. I heard what I wanted to hear, and I'm going on about my life. And that is so, so true. Some of those people... Some of those people, I think, regret it. And some of those people, I promise you, weren't, they weren't that bad. They just, you know, they, they got tired of political correctness, which is a dumb reason to vote for somebody. Is that I'm sick of this PC horse shit. Mm-hmm. But, like, man, all, they kept saying, like, you're offended by, well, dude, you're just going to be offended by anything, so what does it matter? Like, we are the group that cried offense to a certain point, and, like, I don't know, man. It, it really blows. It was the wrong move. Shouldn't have done it, but we may have ran the wrong horse, too. Oh, no, we definitely did. I mean, I was saying back before even the election started ramping up, I was like, dude, if they run Hillary Clinton, I, in fact, I lost a bet. I said Democrats with Chris Novembrino. If Fern remembers, like two, three years ago, I lost a $50 bet. I said, there's no way the Democrats are dumb enough to run Hillary Clinton. Not going to happen. Yep. And it did happen. And I was astounded. I was like, what? After this Wait. black guy was in office for eight years and all the backlash and hate, now you're going to run a woman? Are you fucking insane? This country's not ready for that. No, I mean, I hear you, but going up against Trump, it had to feel from the Democratic National Convention standpoint of like, 
all right, this is our homecoming game. Let's start the second string quarterback because it don't matter. Like, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it was arrogance, definitely. Let me ask you this because you made a good point about, um, you know, this whole administration and how things look today. If you had picked up your pen today, if you started writing this book, let's say a month ago, would the book be totally different because of where we are now? It's not going to be totally different. I mean, the, the, you know, the chapter on the opioid crisis is going to be the same. I don't think we've really made any, uh, advances in food in the past couple uh months so that'd probably be the same you know of course i talked about mammals and papaws that would probably right that one might be a little bit different because i literally wrote that while my grandmother died so it was a lot more raw and open uh like yeah no i actually like i left uh the funeral and then had to come back and write my portion of the grandmother's chapter so um, but with everything else, I mean, honestly, I think that there was a lot of parts in that book where all three of us were guilty of being a little visceral where we didn't have to be. Um, absolutely meant every single word that I said, but there is a better way to talk to people. And it's like, cause really? I, don't like, like, I thought you were well, going out of your way to be respectful and putting little disclaimers in, but don't take it as I mean this. Like, I thought it was the most like accommodating book as far as trying to show respect that I've ever written, like well, I've ever read in the political realm. I mean, I guess you're, you are right in the sense of we did try to, I don't know. I mean, we, yeah, we did make a good effort, but I know there was at least a couple instances where I implied that some certain group of people may be dumber than I ought to have said. Uh, but, I mean, because I don't like being called, when somebody opens up a conversation with, you libtard, you, you know, socialist, I'm immediately like, whatever this person says next, I don't care about because they've opened with just a completely asinine, dumbass statement. And I don't want to be guilty of doing the same thing, just being like, all oh, these Trumpers and blocks. Because as soon as I say that, they're like, I know what you're about to say. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit more empathetic now, so maybe that would, maybe that would change. Um, or maybe I'm not remembering how respectful I was in the book. It has been a minute. You seem very, it. very respectful to me. And then on the thing about the replies from, like, the Trump crowd, like, I feel like they have one of those fucking telemarketing charts where if you say something, uh-huh. it's like, all right, go to blame and Hillary or, oh, hate go to flow chart. yeah, like they have that fucking Real. thank you for a hate flow chart. Yeah. It's so boring when you say something I'm like, here we go. I know what they're going to say next. Oh, I know what they're going to say to this. Like, it's like, you're not making any movement because you know exactly what all of the soundbite and catchphrases are. In fact, they just yeah. did a thing. Let me pull these numbers. They surveyed. What do you think of Steve Bannon among Republicans? And 8% had a negative rating and 13% had a positive rating. And 79% of the people either, I guess, didn't answer or said, I don't know, or no opinion. And it's like it's almost like they're waiting for Fox News to tell them what to think about Steve Bannon before they can chime in on it. Because they're like, well, I don't, I don't know because sometimes he's against Trump, but sometimes he's against Republicans. But we're supposed to like Republicans. But then Trump says he's going to help establishment Republicans. But Steve, it's going to Steve Bannon's going to primary. It's like they're it's like when Spock blew up the fucking robots with a logic loop. It's like they don't know how to right. respond because Fox News hasn't told them yet how to respond. So I don't know how oh, uh, you break that mentality. That's the hardest hurdle for me when it comes to talking to the other side. Well, we kind of got it a little bit, too. I mean, uh, don't you think it's kind of weird how liberals love the NFL now? Yeah, but I think it's also everything's a countermeasure, right? So when they sure. come out, and I thought it was weird, weirder when those football players were saying a prayer 
I forget what, I think it was the Ravens, the Baltimore, and I don't watch football at all. The Baltimore Ravens said a prayer before the national anthem and like Christians were booing them. And then I saw on yeah. post, like wrong place, wrong time. And I and in my mind almost exploded. I was like, wait, 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 wait. There's actually, I have never heard this in 46 years of life. There's a wrong time to pray. I've never heard that before. There's a wrong place and time to pray. When, well, when has that ever been a thing? I just think it's interesting because, like, Trump came out and was, like, you know, calling for a boycott of the NFL. So, as soon as that happened, and I've, I've watched the exact same amount of NFL my entire life, which is every single game that I can possibly watch. So, nothing mm-hmm. has changed me. Um, so, but Trump comes out and he's like, you know, we're boycotting the NFL. You know, no good. Roger Goodell's terrible. So, they do all that, and then liberals are like, well, I guess we're going to start liking football now because – you know, yay, we're going to watch, and Colin Kaepernick's going to get reinstated. And I'm like, no, I hear you. That's cool, but like uh, – But did liberals know, not like players... football before? I didn't know football was no, a left-right Dude, thing. you would get – are you kidding me with, like, right, domestic assault and uh, all that shit? Yep. Yeah, I don't follow Ray football, Rice... so I don't know. Well, dude, but here... okay, well, you don't have to. Follow liberals. <laughs> okay. Like, I'll get right on When there was – when, dude, like, uh, before the Colin Kaepernick thing, it was just – I don't know why you people would support the NFL anyways. All they do is sweep uh, domestic assault and sexual uh, assault allegations under the rug. Roger Goodell's the devil, yada, yada, yada. Brady's uh, friends with Trump, yada, yada. The NFL's bullshit, and if you watch it, you're just supporting rapists like Ben Roethlisberger, yada, yada, yada. So to me, I'm just like, well, now, if you're just watching it because of Colin Kaepernick and all this stuff, I'm like, those people that raped and assaulted people are still playing, too. Yep. And like what the, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't get it. And also, basically, what you just did was you let Trump tell you what that you had to like. You didn't like something. Trump said, "I don't like this," and you go, "Well, opposite must be true." Now we love the NFL. So I mean, again, we kind of yeah. do it. Now I do want to push back just a little bit on the whole on the whole football thing because I'm a football freak. I love football, and I don't understand what kneeling for the anthem has to do with a good flea flicker or a slant route or a nice blitz or man to man or zone coverage. It's got nothing to do with that. Now I will say this: Tom Brady was a Trump supporter, but he has since yeah, pulled was. back because I'm a New England fan. I got to say, born and bred in, in Maine, so I bleed Pat Sox, Celts, Bruins. And as a matter of fact, Giselle attended the uh, women's march that happened not too long ago. But the whole NFL thing, it, a lot of people have stopped watching the NFL long before these protests because of the rule changes, because a lot of people uh-huh. were like, oh, they're just pussifying the sport. You know, you can't even let these guys play anymore. You can't, you know, you can't tackle the guy with the ball. Well, so what? It's a quarterback. Yeah, and, and that has attributed to the decrease in NFL viewership on top of all the natural disasters that we've had this year. And for Papa John's to come out and say that kneeling for the anthem is affecting their business, again, I'll go back to that. Let's look at your business practices because Pizza Hut's not having a hard time. It's not Pizza just Hut was trolling them with that very line yeah, you just well, said, yeah. Fern. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Papa, John's, Papa John's knows that. He's not an idiot. All he's doing is he had some shitty sales, and he's like, well, I could just uh, you know take responsibility for myself and make a better product and pay my employees a living wage, or I could rile the fervent base of Donald Trump up by saying that these black guys peacefully protesting are the reason that my sales are down. And the next thing you know, Papa John is literally the mascot of the goddamn alt-right. He knows what he's doing. They literally are. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. All right, let let me end this segment on this because I want to talk some news with you, Corey. Um, Before we move on, this is an important question. This is something I always ask. Can comedy save America? 
because it seems like comedy, <laughs> South Park, and Family Guy, and comedians can get into places politically that I can't just talk in straight politics. I mean, what the last thing you said is true, but will it save America? Hell no. Really? So you don't think it has that kind of impact? Well, I mean, if it, no, I mean, I think that it absolutely can bridge the gap, and I think that if there's people teetering one way or the other and they don't really know a good bit that expresses that view because it, it, it actually is a scientific thing. When you laugh, your endorphin level spikes. And when that right. happens, you are more susceptible to new ideas and you are more forgiving and you are more understanding and your brain is actually absorbing things like you were when you were a child. So in that manner, yeah, a good idea that's told funny can probably get in there a lot better. But at the same time, you leave that, sh you know, you were thinking one way and then some comedian changed your heart well, you were buzzed up, and then you leave that show, and then three weeks later, and you don't remember the bit anymore, and something happens, and you go back to your dumbass self. So, I mean, I think comedians can bridge a gap, but ultimately, it's going to take everybody just getting together and going, okay, guys, look, I know we fucked up, but we got to somehow find common ground here. And what's really going to save us is young people running for office and actually voting. And as a comedian, if I can convince people to do that, then maybe by some uh, Republicans will love this trickle down factor. Maybe, yeah, comedy would then save the world. Absolutely. Could not agree more. All right, let's talk about what happened this week the House of Cards Palace like intrigue that happened with um, Robert Mueller handing down indictments to former um, Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort and campaign advisor Rick Gates. Along with uh, Papalopoulos, I hope, as a Greek, I should be able to say that name. I hope I'm saying it correctly. Pamplemousse. Uh, Papa Boots, yeah. Manafort and Gates were indicted on 12 counts Monday, including conspiracy against the United States, conspiracy to launder money, acting as an unregistered agent of, the, of a foreign principal, and making false statements to authorities. This all seems pretty clear. What's crazy to me is 80% of Trump supporters say they could care less if, if Trump is guilty. If he's guilty, they don't care if he's guilty with colluding with Russia I remember a time not so long ago where people were like, go back to Russia, commie, if I wore a fucking Rubik's Cube shirt. Like, if I played with a Rubik's Cube or listened to Ozzy Osbourne, they're like, go back to Russia. Let me ask Corey as kind of our representative of the South here. When oh, did God. Southerners stop caring about Russia, like this Red Dawn Russia being the enemy? When did they start thinking of Putin as kind of this bear riding, putting Obama in his place like good guy, because that's the most one oh. of the most bizarre things about what's been going on the last few years in this country. Well, I don't know if y'all heard, um, but Obama is a black person. <laughs> a black exactly. person, you said. Go on, yeah. get out of here. Also, also uh, stop the presses. Hillary um, is a woman who had a lot of a black man's ideas going forward the country. So. I got to tell you, uh, Russia. I'm hanging up now, dude. People. Seriously, I got to hang up now because I just can't take this information. This is ridiculous. You're spouting ridiculousness here. I'm done. No, no, it's <laughs> wild, man. Trey made a, Trey made a good point too, which is like, not, it goes to this. It's like not only are all of a sudden Russians okay, but now rednecks like the police. It's a weird time we're living in. Like, Rednecks yeah. used to hate the cops. He makes a point on his video about, like, that's literally what the I show Deuce of Hazard was all about. But the cops start shooting some brown people, and all of a sudden, it's, well, now they're just doing their job, but they're, you know, all that. 
Man, it's oh, just... man, there is nothing better than a redneck making a making fun of a redneck voice. That was perfect. It's hard to do, and I always feel bad every time I do it. <laughs> I don't think you should feel bad. I think it was the most marvelous it's moment awesome. of this podcast. Is that like every Southern cannibalism, I... or <laughs> what is that? I do it. I go every time I do it. I go buy a twenty dollars scratch off so I can give back to my community. Right. I think that's fair. Really fair. Yeah, but it is mind-boggling to see these people like my dad, and I've said it a thousand times on this podcast, my dad now has more in common with Ted Nugent than his fucking hero, Ronald Reagan. And to just see my dad go, well, you know, uh, Russia's okay with me. Like, it's fucking mind-bending to me. I think that they have been for a while and will continue to be this party of the ends justify the means. And... To, to a lot of them, I know how they justify it. They'll be like, look, man, you know, here's the deal. The Democrats were going to rig it one way or another, and then Hillary would be in here. So they just had to play both sides of the coin, do it themselves. And I mean, look, if they hadn't have done it, we'd have Hillary for eight years. And that is honestly way more detrimental to this country than Donald Trump colluding with the Russians. Because if you think about it, man, I mean, we actually need the Russians as friends. Why wouldn't we want them as allies, Corey, you liberal dumb fuck? So, I mean, I see it. Yeah, it's insane. And and here's another fucking rabbit hole that they went down. Trump came out and said, like, oh, Paul Manafort didn't really have much to do with our campaign, blah, blah, blah. And when people were like, well, here's a video of Trump saying Pan Ma- Paul Manafort is basically the campaign. He's the face of the yeah. campaign, everything. Oh, and they kind of said, like, well, because Trump always lies, then nothing he says is a lie. Because he's just yeah. kind of being this carny bar- barker who just says anything. So because he always lies, you can't ever say he's a liar because everything he says is a fucking lie. And people no, are just not really like, brilliant. oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, I guess uh, he didn't really mean it. He only means the things that we agree with. But the bad things he says, he doesn't mean. So we give him a complete pass. I mean, is there anything this man can't do in that community? No, but that's, I mean, you nailed it on a, in terms of... The way that him and Manafort and Roger Stone, who I met in passing in uh, Pasadena, California, and it took oh, everything wow. in me. Oh, wow. What was that experience him. like? He, I didn't – when I saw him, I literally thought it was a cardboard cutout of him that someone was <laughs> carrying beside them because he just does not look like a real person, which is, <laughs> makes sense on account of he is, uh, you know, hell incarnate. So, you know – so, man – Dude, okay, full disclosure, you're going to have to repeat what I was supposed to just say because I said that and I ate a weed cookie before this because I have a hangover. <laughs> I mean, like I said, we were just talking about how crazy it is that these people are making all these concessions to where to oh, point. I mean, how Orwellian is it that Trump's people come out and say he lies so much that lies are no longer lies? So just take the good stuff you want and everything else he could just pass off as he's just being a showman and a reality TV guy. Yeah, and that makes me jealous as a comedian because, like, we started doing that years ago with the, oh, man, it's just a joke. You know what I mean? Like, we, too, can say whatever we want and then just go, no, man, it's just jokes. But, like, I'm not a goddamn politician, and he should be held to a higher standard. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's crazy also to people who think, well, he shouldn't be. Like, I always ask Fern, how many times have I asked you, if this goes fucking belly up, Fern— how long before they're like, well, Trump wasn't a politician, but technically he had ties to politicians in the business world. So we need to get like some meth head from behind a dumpster of IHOP to represent us because he'll truly right. be an outsider. Right, Fern? All right. Yeah, so first, this whole, he's not a go ahead. Yeah, no. First, full disclosure, my hangover is brought to you by the letter V for vodka, and this podcast is brought to you by the letter B for beer. So I'm right there with you. Um, Second of all, 
Trump, and this goes back to actually the conversation we were having earlier, and it is the same thing. They elected him because he wasn't a politician. What they thought was, well, he's a businessman. He's a successful businessman. Now, they weren't taking into account Trump water, Trump airlines, Trump steaks, Trump pyramid plan, all that stuff. They were saying, all right, you know what? He's not a politician, but he's just playing the political game until he gets elected. Plus, there were a lot of independents that fell, fell off with the DNC and the Debbie Wasserman Schultz. They felt very betrayed because they screwed Bernie over. So they said, all right, cool, I'll go ahead and throw a vote this way because screw Hillary and screw Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So this man got elected, but he's not a politician. You do not hire your mechanic to do brain surgery. He doesn't even understand how government works. I mean, hell, even Mitch McConnell came out and said, hey, I don't think Donald Trump understands the amount of time that it takes to get stuff done in Washington, and he Twitter warred his ass. Like, he doesn't get it. But that's the thing about the Trump supporters, though. As soon as you say anything negative, and I think Jeff Flake put it eloquently, he's like, look, I've got a 96% approval rating from, like, the RNC um, think tank that rates these things, a lifetime approval rating. I vote with Trump, like, his policies 92% of the time. They don't care. His base does not care about politics. They don't care about ideology. They care that as soon as I criticized his behavior, I became a rhino. Well, that's because for two years, they've been deeply embedded in defense. They have felt like they've had to defend this man over and over and over again for every single horrible thing that has come out of his mouth with the caveat that, well, once he gets elected, it will change. I'll deal with this now because I think it's funny. I think it's amusing. I think it's great that a politician comes out and says these crazy, horrible, awful things to get elected because, hey, nobody else is saying it, and it's kind of funny, and they've been defending him, and then once he got elected, he continued with his craziness, trying to get us into World War III with North Korea. Like, I can't even, I can't even go over the myriad of crap since the beginning of this year, and they're still defending him because they're deeply embedded in that cement and that mud. Their feet are stuck in just defense and not looking at things saying, you know what, this is really screwed up. I can agree with him on a policy or two, but as a human being, he's really freaking abhorrent. Nobody can concede that because then they would be wrong. And it's not a right or wrong issue when it comes to this man. It's a moral or amoral issue. And, you know, you treat human beings as human beings, not as one side of the fence or the other or pawns or a little army. He's gathering an army, and that's a very scary thing. He's being a leader as as gathering his army instead of being a leader to try to help the people. Too true. Well, All right. Me... I want to move on um, to the Virginia race. Corey, I'm going to let you get the last word on this. If Trump gets impeached and it's overwhelming evidence that he colluded with Russia or, you know, tried to obstruct justice, does it mean anything to his supporters, particularly his Southern supporters, or do they go, oh, this is all the deep state conspiracy and it's all lies? I mean, I would say it will be split, but it will not be 50-50. I mean, there's 100% going to be people that go, well, yeah, this is, we told you how powerful Hillary Clinton is, and that's all this is, is the Clintons is somehow. Not powerful enough to win a fucking election, though. Well, no, see, and that's that's the argument I would have back to them, and then they would call me a queer and hang up. So, <laughs> uh, so, but no, that's I mean, they're going to say that they're going to be like, look, Trump didn't do any of this shit. This is all fugazi or whatever, and and you know they've conspired, and this is you know one one rung closer on the ladder to socialism, and we're all screwed. And I mean, there's going to be some violent uprisings. I don't know if it's going to be this le- level of horseshit civil war that everybody thinks it's going to be. I don't think that's going to be the case, but like. 
it will be look no matter what happens the next four years are going to suck uh but if he gets impeached i mean you know that's in my opinion that's the road he needs to be and that's the road to progress but i mean dude in the interim when that happens man it's going to be wild especially with whoever takes his place uh because i mean i don't even really know much about how that process goes like if they impeach him you know who all down the line blah 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 yada yada because I mean, you impeach him, you got to find Mike, Mike Pence at fault as well because he was literally in the campaign with him. And I, dude, I don't know, man. It just it really blows. And uh, you know, and I still live in Georgia, so I'm going to get the blame wow. of it. <laughs> well, let's finish up with this, Fern. There is a race coming up in Virginia Beach. Um, I yeah. know you're very po- um, political, active in a political world as far as voting, debating, educating yourself, what yeah. have you. Um, a lot of people are focusing on this particular race as being very important. What does this race mean if the Democrat wins? What does it mean if the Republican wins? I know you're probably voting third party, which I was just posting about today. Why is this race significant and why is everybody looking at it through a political microscope? Well, it's not just the Virginia race. We're actually we've got Virginia and New Jersey who were voting on Tuesday. So I think um, but I don't think Jersey's as big of a deal as Virginia is. No, I mean Virginia's produced uh, quite a few presidents, and um, you know our governors tend to go on to the Senate. So you know it, it it does tend to be a very important state. But I think what it's going to do is set the tone and the temperature for the country for midterms. Um, I think with everything coming out with Russia that is going to affect the race, it's already very, very tight here. There's only like a three-and-a-half-point stre- spread between Northrum, who is, or Northam, who is the Democrat, and Gillespie, who is the Republican. Um, honestly, I didn't even know there was a third party on the ticket until I said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and download the ballot and see who's on the ticket because we're also voting for lieutenant governor and um, AG. And there was a libertarian on the ticket. And I was like, holy shit, okay, well, let's dig into this guy. What I found interesting about the three parties, number one, the libertarian candidate, and I am going to vouch for the libertarian candidate, I think I'm going to vote third party this year, because he can have um, separatist ideas about what the state should control and what they shouldn't control. And it can almost seem hypocritical because in one arena, he's saying let's deregulate some of these uh, depot, let's deregulate the food truck Uh, as far as municipalities go, but let's go ahead and make it state-run in other arenas for, you know, deregulate the ABC. This guy honestly really wants to buy alcohol and smoke weed, I will say that. Nice. Um, But the interesting thing I found about the three candidates, all of them actually address the Confederate statue issue on all of their websites. And I, I found it interesting because we haven't heard much about that lately, but all three of them addressed it, and all three of them were very different. You know, the, the Democratic candidate said, hey, leave them, up, uh, leave them up, but leave them up in museums. Take them and move them to museums and have them placed in museums. The Republican candidate said, no, leave them where they're at, and why don't we erect more statues honoring African Americans and their contribution to the state and kind of placate the community that way. And that's kind of how I look at it, to be honest with you. Whereas the Libertarian was like, look, leave it up to the individual cities. The state shouldn't be involved. Let each municipality decide how it's going to be and be done with it. And I I found it super interesting that all three candidates actually addressed this one issue. But as far as the country goes, they're looking at it to get a gauge and a barometer of where we may be going come midterms and where those elections, those seats will be going come midterms. And I think it's going to be hugely important as far as influence in the rest of the states 
uh, as far as fundraising, uh, I call it marketing, but I guess you'd call it, I don't know, whatever it's called, the commercials, the ads, the slander ads, all that stuff, the politicking of it all. How they market themselves in the future is going to depend on how these races in Virginia and New Jersey come out. And um, Gillespie, he's down, right? Yeah, he's North down three and a half by points. three points, right? Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So, um, Corey, does this mean anything, Virginia being a purple state? Is this going to be a true litmus test of what we can look at in 2018? Or is this just because it's a purple state, is it more neutral than people are giving it credit, credit for? No, I mean, I think this is going to be the first blip that we see in the how many people are going to stay true uh, to their vote for Trump and how many people have actually switched back to being moderate, which I have said from the jump, if nothing good comes of Trump in four years except for shifting us a little bit back to the center, then that will definitely be it because I don't see a way in which that won't happen. Right on. So what does it mean when Bannon says he's going to primary all these guys with like these alt-right dudes? Where do you think these Trump supporters go? Do they say, we're going to follow Bannon and just fill the country with fucking Roy Moore senators? Or do they say, hey, we're not willing to go that fucking extreme. And Trump is kind of playing both sides against the middle because he's kind of like, well, maybe I'll try to talk to Bannon about keeping in some of these establishment guys. But, you know, they better be nice to me. Where do you where does these average Trump people fall? Will they go that extreme to follow Steve Bannon? No, I don't. I don't think so at all. I mean, the. The actual alt-right and the Richard Spencers and the Roy Moore type people, I mean, I look at them the same way uh, I want conservatives to look at, like, uh, you know, complete meat is murder, vegan liberals that uh, I don't – like, look, it's a fringe group, for Christ's sake. I mean, there's more of them than there should be, for sure. And, right. you know, they have a large voice now, but that's just because that's how social media works. This same shit has probably been going on for our entire lives and decades before us. It's just that, you know, when they had their meetings, they couldn't send an event invite to a thousand people all at once. So it's just, it's that. And I mean, it sucks, but no, I think that the actual decent hearted people that somehow fucked up and voted for Trump and they do exist because I know them, there's no way they're following that battle. It's not happening. Yeah, but to be fair, like Trump has kind of legitimized these guys to the point where even if you're not a real Nazi, you feel comfortable playing like Nazi cosplay and marching out in the streets to go and kill the Jews. And you don't really have the wherewithal to know what you're actually saying. I mean, how many of these guys got doxxed and they were like, but I was just playing. I was just a make-believe Nazi. No, I mean, that's 100% true. I, I can't argue with you on that, but like, my thing has always been with with the with that notion is like some people say like you know I don't think Trump's actually a racist I think he just knows how to get votes and so he's playing it like that and I'm like I gotta tell you man uh, pretending to be a racist kind of seems racist mm-hmm. yeah and that's exactly like, my point or almost worse like you know what I mean because I, I don't know that takes a special level of person but like if you're willing to pretend that you don't care about minorities to get to get votes then you really don't care about them that is true yeah all right well let's end there well, no such thing let me in there because we've got to take a little five before we get Meryl in here. Um, Corey, I want to thank you so much for calling in. Like I said, your book did humble me. And I always like to walk like out of a room smarter than I walked into it, which was totally the case <laughs> with this book. It enlightened me. Tell everybody cool. where they can find you. Tell me a little bit about um, what's going on with the Well Read podcast because I did check out a couple episodes and thoroughly enjoyed it. And where can everybody find you on the interwebs? 
Uh, on the interwebs, I am at CoreyRyanForrester.com, and on there you can also find a link for WellReadComedy.com. That's W-E-L-L-R-E-D-Comedy.com. It's a pun. Ha-ha, we're hilarious. That's our you tour are. that we're on. That's our tour that we're on, and uh, honestly, we're uh, literally everywhere uh, all the time. It's pretty insane. Our tour doesn't stop. We've done, at this point, we've covered 42 states in the past year and a half, and we're making our, we've made several repeat stops and are going to continue that for the foreseeable future. And uh, our podcast is Well Read Podcast, spelled the same as all that, on iTunes. We have cool guests from time to time, but a lot of time it's just me and the boys uh, bantering back and forth about cheese. So right. it's, a, it's something for everybody. Um, let me yeah. end with this. I got to ask you this. When you're on tour, do you get a better reception in the South, even though you're liberal, yeah, or in the North easily. because you're Southern? Easily. 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 Easily so. All Easily. right. Now, all of, all of our shows are great. Like, there's not – all of our shows are great. Our fans are the coolest people in the world. The difference is the people in the South who are coming to our shows, as Trey puts it so eloquently, yeah, there's people in the South that hate us, but they're not going to spend $25 and then drive somewhere to call us a queer when they can right. do that on the Internet. <laughs> so, like, everybody – Everybody that comes to our shows knows us. They listen to the podcast. They've maybe seen a show before. They've read the book. So, like, our response is the reason they're better in the South is because they get it on both levels. They get it from the liberal standpoint, but they also get it from the redneck standpoint, whereas when we go to San Francisco, they love the show, and they're, but they're more intrigued by how we sound. People in the South are going, finally, someone who's doing jokes about shit that I get because I'm a liberal from the South. You make it sound like you're a nature special when you go up North, like you're some wild (laughs) fucking kingdom or something. It can be that way. We were in San Francisco one time and this lady came up to San Francisco. Oh my God, that show was so great. You guys, I had, I lived in the South for like three weeks and like, I totally wanted to fucking kill myself. So like, I get it. And uh, because we were in San Francisco, Trey goes, well, I hear there's a good bridge for that around here if you, if you want to do that. But we were like, lady, that's where we're from. I hope you, the thing you're taking away from the show is not everybody down there is like this. We are literally walking Jeez. living proof of the opposite. Yeah, it's very Jane Goodall, National Geographic. Like, look at these liberal yeah. rednecks coming up north and talking. It's incredible. Wow. Fern, yeah, I'll again, let you have the last word here. Yeah, no, I, Corey, I really love your work. I really do. I thoroughly enjoyed everything I've seen. One thing that I found really cool is that I follow uh, the Potty Mouth Grandma, Grandma Potty Mouth, yeah, and yeah. I saw that you had done an episode with her, which was awesome because I just, I, you know, I love her to pieces. Um, so I guess my question, I have two questions for you really quick. Number one, are you going to be making another quiche on National Women's Day? And number two, if you were to give advice to all our listeners out there, would it be eat more quiche or learn how to make a quiche? Uh, both of those things, yes. Um, I didn't make a quiche for a, so the other day was a National Men Cook Dinner Day, or as we call it at my house, oh. every goddamn day of the week when I'm home. <laughs> so uh, I didn't make a quiche, but I made a tomato pie, and it's very similar uh, uh, to that. But yeah, I make quiches all the time. It's funny you say that I'm working on a. Uh, a cookbook right now, and so uh, me and my mother are actually getting together uh, tomorrow before I leave for New York to make a quiche, to take pictures and shit. Nice. That's amazing. My mom taught me how to make a quiche. I make quiche. I love quiche. I have the stuff in my fridge right now to make a quiche, including pie crust. Mm-hmm. I've tried making my own pie crust, and it worked, but, man, that's too damn much work. It really is a lot it of is. work to make your own pie crust, but I love quiche, so I appreciate the quiche aspect. Love it. Sure. There's no more positive way we could have ended this podcast. 
and talking about quiche. Right on. All right, Corey, thank you so much for calling in today. It was as enlightening as your book was. And we will be back here, God, not till December 3rd. We're going to be on the road to Baltimore, Atlanta, and then Savannah for these big auditions. So we won't be back until December for Kettle of Fish. Later, y'all. Bye-bye. Thank you, All right, D. Let's take a little break. (laughs) 